Do you know that the Israel in the Old Testament only called God Father 14 times? In the whole Old Testament, 14 times. You know, in the whole New Testament, you know how many times Father is said regarding to God the Father? 326 times. You see the relationship change here? You know, just in the book of, uh, of, of the of the of Matthew in this chapter alone he's going to say father 12 times in the whole gospels 60 times not the epistles just the gospels 60 times Jesus is changing he's the same yesterday today and forever but he's ushering in the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about a new covenant and here we are this by addressing this, our Father, you're revealing the Father as a personal God. He's personable to you, just like your Father on this earth should have been, I hope, personable to you. God wants to be a personal Savior. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with God, and you should too, a relationship. Not to be religious, but having a relationship. Our Father, look at this. And then he goes, who is in heaven? Which speaks of a, 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 a place where he's, he's in charge. He's in the heavens. We're talking a third heaven here. We're not talking, you know, the atmosphere is the first heaven. The space is the second heaven. We're talking God's dwelling place. You're saying to him, you're my Father in and then your dwelling place, which I'm going to be part of someday when I get there. Only children can call God their father. Those who are saved by believing in Christ. You're in this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, you're actually agreeing that there is a heaven. This is the first step in prayer that produces power. You've got to recognize God is your Father, and He is in heaven, the, the creator of the entire universe. And He's your personal Father. But you must come to God the Father through Christ and Christ alone. Here's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Here's what John 1, 10 through 12 says. He was in the world, that's the earth, and the world, and the world was made by him. The earth was made by him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, that means the Jews, and his own Jews did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, you became the son of God or the children of God. Now you can call him father. I'm going to show you something right now that you may want to think about. In my prior life, my career, I was a professional sign painter. I painted, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of signs. 
And down in the bottom corner, I would put Trapani signs or whatever company it was. I changed it to ambassador signs back in Pennsylvania years ago. And I would put my name on the sign. I'm the creator of that sign that says, all artists, when they, when they make something or paint something or draw something, they sign their name on the bottom. Isn't that true for the most part? Listen, if Leonardo da Vinci didn't put his name on his painting, you wouldn't even know it was his. It would be worthless unless you could prove somehow that it was his. He puts his name on it. It's without a doubt. Do you think that God would not do the same? Since you're a child of his, don't you think that he would sign his name to you? Let me show you something I just found out. You know Psalm 139. I'm going to turn there and I'm going to read it to you. 139, verse 14 we'll start at. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written of the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts of me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God is going to sign his name to you. According to scientists, listen, I've checked this out extensively, but I'm sure I'm not a scientist, but I want you to see this. According to scientists, your DNA spells out the name of God. You believe that? You don't think God put his name on you somewhere because you're his creation, whether you're a believer or not. God signed his name to you. According to scientists, your DNA spells out the name of God, and every human being was created in God's image. Let's see how this works. Every single strand, Liz has up there on the screen, every single strand of human DNA is marked with the name of God. I'm going to show you why. Hold, pay attention to this close, okay? There are bonds that hold those two strands together. Okay? Those bonds are repeated. Let's see. These bonds occur after the tenth pair of nuclear ties. It happens again after the fifth uh, pair of nuclear ties. It happens again after the sixth pair of nuclear ties. And it happens again after the fifth pair of nuclear ties. If you go to the Hebrew alphabet, 10 is the letter Yud. So this is going to switch the screen for you. The 10th is the letter Yud. If you go five more pairs down the road, the 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 Hebrew alphabet is hey. If you go six more pairs down the road, it's vav. If you go five more pairs, it's 
Hey. So what's written on you is 10565. The Y stands for Yud. The H stands for Hey. The V stands for Vav. The Hey stands for Hey. Okay? If you take that out, what does it spell? Take out. The first letter of the alphabet is Y-H-V-H. Y-H-V-H. Do you recognize that name now? Every your God has his name on your DNA. According to scientists, I'm no scientist. What did we do? Americans, or people, Christians, what they did, they took the name Adonai, because the Jews would never even write a vow to pronounce his name. Every time they wrote on a scroll, on a document, when they came to the name of God, they would have to stop. They would have to go take a bath. They would have to get a new pen. They would have to write the first letter. Why? Then they would have to change clothes again, take a bath. I mean, that's how holy they thought the name, the name of God. They wouldn't even pronounce it. Every letter they had to take a bath, get a new pen to write the name. But we... We figure, well, what does that spell? Why? And they don't have any vowels in it. So since we as Christians know that Adonai is the name for, El for, for God and also Elohim, we take the A and we stick it behind the Y. We take the E for Elohim, which is the plural name of God. We stick it behind the V and we come up with Yahweh. Your name is written on your DNA, church. And I don't know what that's going to mean to any of us, except I'm proud to have God's name written in my DNA. Christian's name for God is Yahweh, and he's my God, and he's your God. And just like me being a painter, I sign my name to everything. And I, know, I believe God even signed his name to animals because they're his creation. Just like I would sign my name to uh, a, a door on a truck that had somebody else's name on it, real small in the corner. God wrote his name in our DNA so small you can't even see it, but if you can study it. I just wanted to throw that into you so that you can realize who you are. You are a son and a daughter of Almighty God, Holy God. You're sealed with His signature. Ephesians 4.30, i just read this one for you first, just so you know. 4.30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your name. His name is on you and you are sealed for redemption if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he came, he died for your sins, he was buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. And as I always say, you can go to Galatians 2, 2-1, uh, or was it 1-1? One, one? You'll find out that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. John, in John chapter 2, fact, by the chapter 2, the 19th through the 21st verse, Jesus said, you, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. So now Jesus raised himself from the dead. God the Father raised himself from the dead. He raised his son from the dead. Jesus raised himself. And, and uh, Romans 8, 11 says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Well, we've got three gods here. No, no. It's a triune God. 
Go back to Genesis chapter 1. It's written, in the beginning, God, Elohim, the plural name for God. Let us create man in our image. We see a plural God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, it says in verse 9, holy or hallowed be your name. This speaks of, of, um, of holiness. It's worship. You know, in Revelation, the four living creatures, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These living creatures had four faces, one on each side. One was a lion, one was, a, was a, a calf, the other was a man, the other was an eagle. And I have my own theology on that. My own theology is the lion is the tribe of Judah, showing you that the, the Messiah is going to come from the line of Judah. The calf is a representation of the, what can I say, the sacrifice that will be made for the blood because man needed to be redeemed, and once you're redeemed, you can fly like the wings of an eagle. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall fly like wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Everything points to Jesus Christ in the temple and in the, in the Bible. I want you to know that. This holiness speaks of, of worthship. Worthship. W-O-R-T-H dash H-S-H-I-P. Worship. Worship. We're to worship the Lord. So it speaks of worship, the holy, the holy God's name, to worship Him. I always go to a lot of the church don't understand the number one priority of worship. We think, oh, it's what Lewis did here today, singing. Yes, it's a part of it, but it's not the whole thing. True worship is mentioned in the Bible the first time in Genesis chapter 22. And I know some of you may have heard this, but we need to drive this home because the church still does not get it. When Abraham was walking up to the mountain, God told him to slay Isaac. And God said he took two servants with him. When he came to Moriah, he told his servants, he said, you wait here, me and my son are going up the mountain to worship the Lord. And as I always say, Jeremy Camp did not go with them. Neither did, did, did uh, those famous uh, artists on TV that sing songs, the holiness. And I love them, don't get me wrong, I'm not coming down to that. What was his true thought to go up on their mountain? It wasn't to sing a song of our hymn to God. It was to submit his will to God's will. His will was to keep his son. God's will was you slay your son. But Abraham said, I'll do whatever you say. Isaac, who was well over, he was probably at least 15 to 25 years old. He was not a little boy. He was certainly, if he was 15 years old, he is certainly able to overcome his father with strength, who was 115 years old. Isaac willingly submitted himself to his father's will, just like Abraham, his father, submitted his will to his father in heaven. So true worship, and its number one state, is submitting your will to God's will. And I think we, myself, we fall a little bit short of that. Maybe quite a bit short of that. And then praise and worship is great. David was a musician. 
We have beautiful songs from David. But remember, your true form of worship is submitting your will to God's will. And what is God's will? Number one, I wish that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. He said, I'll go out after the one and leave the 99 alone. I'll go after the one. He's going to do it. It's both. As a believer, we're supposed to give up our will, our rights, and our control. Have you given up your will? You wanted to be a famous uh, doctor. You might have to give that up. You have to give up your rights. You want to be boss. You want to be in control. You got to give that all up to be a believer. You give your control to God. You give your rights to God. That's why Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You give your will to God. Your will is to obey Him and to be with Him. Point number three of this prayer. Let me turn to the prayer again. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer includes, number three, adoration, your deep love for God, your deep respect you should have for him, the honor that you should give him, the reverence, the devotion that we're supposed to give to God. Because verse 10a says, your kingdom come. We should be anticipating the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if not the rapture first, which I believe it is. We should be anticipating. Lewis was blowing the shofar here today. Someday the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus will ever be with the Lord. I look forward to that day. I hope it happens now. I'm expecting it. I can't wait for it. I think this world's beautiful. I love all the people here that are in this church and the people of the world, but it's nothing compared to heaven. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for you who love him. You know what? You haven't even thought of this. I'm just going to give you one little trinket, a, a little food for thought. Do you think God loves you enough to have your little puppy dog that didn't make it in, you know, that passed away? Do you think God doesn't have him a place for that little puppy maybe in heaven? You know why? He knows you love that puppy. He knows that, he, sa he said, you haven't even thought of the things that I have prepared for you. Could even be something like that. I'm just throwing that out at you, but we can't even touch or imagine what God has prepared for us up there. Don't call me a hypocrite or, a, or what I, uh, an idiot because I said that. I'm just saying to you, nothing is too, is, nothing's impossible for God. Nothing. He loves you that much. You say, it's only a dog. Well, that's how much God loves you. He loves you so much he's going to give you, you know, what you loved back. We should live our lives waiting for his return. In Acts chapter uh, 1, verses 9 through 11, I'll read it to you. 
And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was holding, going, behold, two men in white clothing, of course they're angels, stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken away, taken up from from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. He's coming back. We should be anticipating his return. There's a good ending in store, in other words. Even Isaiah, 750 B.C., it's almost 3,000 years ago. Here's what he said in Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe every tear from all your faces. Hey, how did Isaiah know that? except by the Spirit of God. Point number three, prayer includes submission. Your will be done on earth. Well, I told you what God's will. He wants everybody to be saved. Even the Muslims over there in, in the other part of the world, he wants all the Jewish people to be saved. He wants Italians, Polish, everyone to be saved. Spanish, he wants them all saved. Here's Ezekiel chapter 18. Now we're going back again, almost 3,000 years. Here's what God says through Ezekiel. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than they, that he would turn from his ways and live? You know what he's saying? I don't take any, any I, don't, I don't love it when evil men die. I want them to repent and live. So go over to the 31st verse. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. We need repentance in the church today. This prayer was written, remember, to disciples. It's a disciple's prayer. We, he's telling us we need to repent. I prayed with the leaders this morning. Guess what they did? Repented. <laughs> All four of us. All God wants you to do is be, be saved and live. That's his will. That's why he told Jesus in the garden, I can't remove this cup from you. You have to drink every last drop of my wrath against sin. It can't be done. So Jesus submitted himself. Again, true worship is submitting your will to God's will, and that's what Jesus did. He submitted his will as Messiah to the Father, and he followed through all the way to the end to the shedding of his blood. Number four, prayer includes citizenship. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have citizenship. In heaven, church, God's telling, Jesus is teaching you, recognize this. You are no longer a citizen of the United States of America. You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ in a foreign land representing your homeland, heaven. That's what you are. We're going to get down to the brass tacks here. Really, we don't belong in this world. If you don't breathe the air from the Holy Spirit, you must not survive in this world. 
We need to adhere to God. The angels in heaven serve God. They made their choice to serve God. And they're sealed. And same with us. We're sealed. You made a choice with your whole heart. Again, not your head commitment, your heart commitment. You'll miss heaven by those 15 to 18 inches right here if you just say it with your head. God wants your heart quality, not the quality, quantity of your prayers. Even Paul kind of hinted towards this whenever the Roman soldier said, how, how could you be a citizen of Rome? I acquired my citizenship with a large amount of money. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. You were born a citizen of heaven. You were born again into the kingdom of God. You were born again as, as a citizen of heaven. And nothing's going to change that. We've already attained our inheritance. We have retained our inheritance to the end that we were, were first to hope in Christ. Because you hoped in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. It's that simple. Prayer also includes supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying ask. You might have to do that daily so it's not repetitive. It's heart. I need to, you know, a lot of people pray over their dinners. You know, you pray every day. Fine. It's okay to pray. It's okay to ask continually. Even Jesus, when he cursed the fig tree, it took 24 hours to die from the root up. Some of the people that Jesus laid their hands on, and they, they're lepers, and they all, 10 of them went away. And as they went, they were healed, and only one returned to thank the Lord. We must realize and thank God because we are utterly dependent on him. I know you don't like to hear that, but you're supposed to give up your will, your rights, and your control. You're dependent on God. You should be proud to say so. You're dependent on Him for your bodily needs, your physical necessities, your food, your clothing, your shelter, your water, and guess what? Your air that you breathe. That air is supplied by God. Israel knew this because God taught them in the desert. The manna came to give them every day and fed them and sustained them except for the Sabbath day, but the day before they were able to pick two days. There was more out there. Every day. This is what God's trying to drive home to the church. You need to come to me for everything. He does the same with us on earth. Your basic needs come from God, church, whether you like it or not. Get with the program here. Quit putting God in a shoebox. He's God. There's nothing impossible for him. Prayer also includes repentance. Forgive us our sins. Sins break your fellowship with God. You're a believer. You're sealed. But if you sin, you're breaking your relationship with God. If your brother sins against you, you're, isn't it true that you don't call them for a while? You broke your, your communication with them. Kingdom people should know that we need forgiveness. Let's go to First John, chapter one and verse five. Let's go to six. If we say that we have fellowship 
with him and yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves and the truth is not in you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're to pray every day for the forgiveness of our sins. You're a sinner. It could be a thought. could be an action. could be a word. could be anything. But you're a sinner. We need to acknowledge we're sinners. We're saved by grace through faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus. And when we sin, our fellowship is broken. And then guess what God does? He sends the Holy Spirit, to, well, the Holy Spirit within us, because to convict us of our sins. And notice I said conviction, not condemnation, because the devil will throw condemnation in there. You no good, blah, 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 make you feel terrible. God does not condemn you. God, God convicts you of your sin. And that's it. And you repent, and we go on. I was telling the, the men yesterday, and I've said it before in church, there's, there's one thing that God can't do. Wait, we thought you said God could do everything. Well, there's one thing that God can't do because he chooses not to. I put it that way. One thing God can't do because he chooses not to, he cannot see your sin through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're washed clean and you wear the robes of righteousness of Jesus. Prayer also, number seven, includes forgiveness. You have to forgive. We have to forgive our debtors just like God has forgiven us. Don't hold grudges in your heart. You're supposed to confess your sins. Unforgivingness is deadly, church. You think you're poisoning the name of that person, and all of a sudden you're poisoning yourself from within. Your poison grows within you. Here's what Hebrews 12:15 says. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it man is defiled. We defile ourselves by not forgiving other people. We're to love one another. You know that. Jesus said it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. For by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Yet in a lot of churches, we see feuds going on, and it's, the world's out there looking in there and saying, I don't want part of that. There must be a bunch of hypocrites there. We've got to straighten up. The church needs to straighten up. I need to straighten up. You need to straighten up. We need to get back, back to where God wants us. I remember he told one of the churches in Revelation, look back and see the height from which you have fallen. Am I serving the Lord with the same veracity or even more than I, when I first got saved? Are you? Or did you kind of mellow out a little bit? Love will conquer all. I always tell everybody it's a slower process, but it always, in the end, succeeds. Number Point number eight, 
prayer includes guidance. Here, and, and I don't like the way this reads. And do not lead us into temptation like God leads you into temptation. There's other scriptures that say God doesn't lead you into temptation. That, you know what? That, is a, that gives the wrong impression. I'm going to go with J. Vernon McGee on this one. He says, leave us not in temptation. Leave us not in temptation. Don't, don't uh, what's, this, what's that, lead us not into temptation, like God's leading you there. No, J. Vernon McGee says, leave us not in temptation. In other words, when you're tempted, according to James, we were brought there by ourselves, not by God, because our lust conceived. Desire took place, then lust, and then sin, and then death. I like my, I like the way I read it, this verse. I go, do not let me be led into temptation. Do not let me be led into temptation because the devil can lead you into temptation very easy. He could put a smell of a cigarette right in front of your nose and lead you into temptation. Or alcohol, put that right in front of your nose. I can smell that bourbon, you know, and a temptation to put a beautiful woman in front of a man or a nice looking man in front of a woman and then desire turns into lust, and lust turns into sin, and sin turns into death, says James. And we know that that's true. So God doesn't lead us into temptation, so do not let me be led into temptation. How? By the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the boastful pride of life. First John 2, 2. There's even other versions. I like the New Living Translation on this too. Do not let us yield to temptation. Now you know that that, that verse there, lead us not into, don't lead you into temptation. There's other scriptures that refute that. And you interpret scripture by scripture. So definitely it gives the wrong impression. The devil is the one that leads us into sin. It's we who lead ourselves into sin. Lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, and the devil's always there to help out. Oh, yeah. Prayer also. Oh, do not leave us in temptation. When tempted, we're supposed to pray. Just like Jesus when he was tempted. He said, it is written, grab the shield of faith, and he picked up the sword of the Spirit, which was the Word of God. He took one of the 31,102 verses out of the Bible. He took one of those verses, and he said, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone. You fight temptation, shield of the Spirit. It is written, that's saying, faith in God. Take the sword of the Spirit and slay the enemy with the Word of God. God tells us in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to other men. There's other men in this life and women in this life that had the same temptations, but God provided them a way of escape. And he provided all of us a way of escape. 2 Timothy says it this way, 2, 24 through 26, the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome. He must be kind to all, gentle, able to teach with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God should grant them repentance and they should come to the knowledge of their truth and escape the snare of the devil because they were being held captive by him. 
You're held captive by the devil when these things happen. Get rid of him and use the word of God. Prayer includes deliverance. Deliver us from evil. It is God in Christ who saves you and delivers you. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. And he delivers your life from the pit, says Psalm 103. Deliver us from the evil one. It's the devil. He's holding a lot of Christians even captive in a snare. They're being held by him. It's like a big python coming up and wrapping around you, and you want to serve God, but the python's got you like this, and you can't move. And God wants to use you, but he can't move because you're wrapped in sin. You say, how do you know that? Well, because God gave me a dream 40 years ago. That's what was happening to me. I was wrapped up in a python, squeezing the life right out of me. And God showed me that I was in sin. And he even zoomed in on one of the scales of the snake. It was like a black ruby, and I fell in love with it. The devil's an evil foe. Let me tell you, you know what the sin was? My tongue. I had to, went to God for several days. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What sin? And it, then he finally told me it was my tongue. Watch your tongue. And it wasn't swear words. Maybe it was more like gossip. I don't know. That's probably more like it. I'm going back 40-plus years. He saves you. He delivers you. Prayer also includes affirmation. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Chapter 6, Matthew 6. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. See, you're acknowledging in this prayer that it's God's kingdom first exists. Number two, God has the power, not the devil. Some people, even Christians today, they fear the devil's word more than God's word. Listen, the devil's word is nothing. God's word is everything. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. It says you're including affirmation that God's kingdom exists, that God has the power, not the devil, that God receives all the glory, and that his kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. And then the 11th point and the final point is Prayer includes agreement. One little word in this passage, amen. Let it be done. Let it be done. That's agreement. Here's what you're agreeing to. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will 